the kickball and uh uh, it's been fun so far. I uh, met uh, a bunch of new people through it, and I've discovered that it, it's when I'm out in the field. Even though it's it's a gay kickball league, so literally no one gives a shit. But, like as soon as the game's over, everybody forgets what happened and goes to the bars. <laughs> but when I'm, despite this, when I'm out in the field, like I get this weird psychological flashback to like fourth and fifth grade little league, where I'm standing out in the outfield. And whenever a ball is hitting my direction, I'm trying to camp under it, trying to camp under it. And then when it descends, I'm like, it's going to kill me. <laughs> and 30 years later, that's still there. And it drives right. me nuts. Like, is, is it uh, the big red rubber red rubber ball? or what yeah. is, Okay, yeah. nice. It's a giant that's red gotta rubber ball. That's got to be a blast. Yeah, and it's impossible to catch. Like, <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, yeah. When it's coming down from that high, like, unless you have, like, the softest hands in the world, it bounces off. And, uh, yeah, I have no idea. I don't look good at it. No matter what the ball was, whether it be we were playing wiffle ball, baseball, a 16-inch softball, if I had time to think about it while the ball was coming down, it was, you know, a 30% chance I was going to catch it. You know, like, <laughs> if it was yeah. hit right to me, then I'm fine, you know, but uh, you <laughs> know, I can handle a live thing. drive. Like yeah. Camping yeah. under it, I'm I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's like your survival instinct kicks in at the worst possible time. And, uh... <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, 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 well, here's, here's a good segue. So it's it, me in the outfield playing little league is as to every White Sox starting pitcher trying to pitch against the Houston Astros lineup. Like, perhaps, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it, it, it's the same kind of deal where it, it's so weird. Like after a full season of greatness and dominance from that position, like as soon as game one started and Lance Lynn realized I can't get a fastball past these guys. Like, no one had any confidence pitching in that lineup. Yeah, it seemed to start right there from game one and uh, then just kind of continue on. Now, Lucas looked better in game two than Lance Lynn did, but I was all, I, you know, like, I'm not going to try to rewrite history. Like, I was all for Lance Lynn getting the ball in game one. He had been kind of the horse all year. I know that all the numbers said, that Houston has owned him, you know, the last, whatever it was, six or eight starts. Like, he has not pitched well against the Astros. But I was like, nope, he has been the guy this year. You let him start game one. And now looking back, I'm like, ah, maybe it should have been Lucas in in game one Mm -hmm. and got off on a little better of a right foot, you know, get off on the right foot. But I'd say by the end of this series, it, it was clear that they were the better team, you know, like, it's in their McCullers was better than what we had and their lineup one through eight, you know, I'd say we were, you know, as good or better in one or two of the spots, but not, you know, one through nine for sure. I, I love that. They just threw out a catcher. That's like, no, he's a great defender. We don't even need a bat in that spot. You know, like we're, we're fine with that. And it shut down the, I think we tried one stolen base and we're like, all right, let's not do that ever again. <laughs> yeah, Martin Maldonado is essentially a pitcher spot in the American League. Right. But Houston still has far and away the best lineup in the game, even in spite of that, which is kind of amazing. And I think the, the big reason for that, and it really played out, especially in the Lance Lynn game, is that Houston's lineup is uniquely set up for contact. That far and away, they make more contact than any other lineup in, in baseball. And in an environment where... Every team is set up for strikeout pitcher and velocity and just 
throw it past guys. And Lance Lynn is the definition. Like Lance Lynn on the mound might as well just be saying, here comes the gas before every right. pitch. Uh, and he still, for the most part, throws it right past guys because he's got both the, the jump on it. He's got the speed and the command. But Houston's like, yeah, sure, bring it. We know how to handle this. And then he's like, oh, uh, shit, no one told me what to do next. And and you saw, like, it, yeah, when, when Houston's able to combat high velocity, a lot of modern pitchers don't know what to do. And it's going to be really scary for the Red Sox and then for if they get past them, whoever they play in the World Series, I think. Yeah, I, I do hope that the Red Sox knock them out. I, I do not like the Astros, not just because they beat my team, uh, but, you know, <laughs> uh, I still haven't gotten rid of the stench that is the cheating scandal from them. So, uh, yeah, as long as the guys that were kind of the ringleaders of it are still there, uh, I will dis, uh, dislike the Astros. So I'm hoping that uh, it will be, you know, I I would love the Giants to go up against uh, the, well, I would have loved it to have been the Brewers, but that, that's already, that ship's yeah. already sailed too. You know, it was like the, I, I know there's not many guys like this, but like the guys that love the Cubs and hate the Sox, Cardinals and Brewers. This was like <laughs> a perfect uh, postseason for them so far, you know, that all, all of us have been swept out, but um, who did, Oh, uh, the Braves. Like I would like to see, the Giants beat the Braves, and then the Giants win it. They had the best team all year long, you know, and you get to see your buddy uh, Chris get mm-hmm. another ring. Like, I, yeah. I think it would be a fun uh, fun way to end the season. So what you're telling me, Fritz, is that you want a Giants-Red Sox World Series because you would like nothing better than to cheer on Chris Bryant versus Kyle Schwarber. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> that Words out of your mouth. That's fair. Done. Completely understand. This is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast. My name's Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports and Baseball Prospectus and stand-up comedian who has been fully activated from the waiting to the things to open up list, I suppose. The other voice <laughs> you are hearing is Comedy Pal, friend of the pod, and Sox fan in mourning, I suppose, Fritz Nothnagel. Good to see you again, sir. Sorry it has to be under these circumstances. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Uh, just a, one last point on our build-up there. You know, if the Giants do face uh, the Red Sox, you know who can hit another homer in Fenway Park. <laughs> um, I, I, I know it, but you got to say it. It's got to be in all its glory. <laughs> you know who could do it. Yes. uh it's amazing what is it three four years now that he's out of baseball like how much better that sounds in my ears like yeah and it's funny that how however long he's been gone that that's still the banter between my buddies and i when we're watching (laughs) the game you know whenever a good ball is hit you know like stretch (laughs) like (laughs) you know who would have got that yes (laughs) Like, I don't know if you know this, I invented the batting glove. <laughs> <laughs> like, if if Fox wanted to bring Hawk back for exactly 10 seconds of World Series time, just for Mike Yastrzemski's first at bat, I would allow it. Like, that would be, that would be, like, the perfect amount of camp for that, and then just say, okay, you're done, pretend the White Sox are losing again, and shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, perfect. I think that would be the perfect dose. Ten seconds. <laughs> so um, in terms of the series with the Astros, 
Uh, obviously, it really turned out to be pretty one-sided with the exception of Game 3. So looking back on where the White Sox were after what was such a fun, exciting season where so many guys, after getting off the injured list, really lived up to their potential, like how far away are they now, do you think, after seeing what the Astros present? Um, well, I'm hoping that Correa will be gone from the Astros next year because he is free agent eligible. So hopefully that is gone. But uh, so next year, I really think that the Sox need a second baseman and a uh, another starting pitcher. You can never have too many starting pitchers, um, but if they can get like a top tier free agent starting pitcher, and I love the move that they made to get a second baseman this year. It just didn't pan out. You know, it's like uh, Jerry Angelo said, just because the plan didn't work doesn't mean it wasn't a good plan. Like <laughs> yeah. getting, getting Cesar Hernandez uh, was a good call. He had been playing really well in Cleveland and had had power numbers like he had never had in his career up to that point. But then once he came over, it just wasn't the same guy. So um that's why i mean even in some of the games they were going with you know larry garcia at second because he just finished the year hot he was one of the few guys that finished the year just hot and you're like all right now we can't sit him down Mm -hmm. and obviously in game three that was far and away the best decision they made for that roster yeah and i don't don't know if i've ever seen that guy hit a ball that far like when it was getting up into you know the batter's eye i'm like wow i didn't know larry garcia (laughs) could do that you know, mm-hmm. And I can't even believe he's the longest tenured White Sox. Like that's really seems crazy to me that ah, he's been he's been around the longest, and it's because he can do anything pretty well. Not great by any stretch of the imagination, but better than average. And he just quietly goes about his business. So that's probably why I didn't realize he was the longest tenured White Sox. So I'm like, oh yeah, I guess he just. Comes to comes to work and does his job, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had no idea that was the case, and I guess that really emphasizes just how much and how thorough the rebuild and this wave of young players that they brought up in the past couple of years has completely reshaped the roster. Um, and so, I, I guess speaking of the Larry Garcia home run, uh, take me through your experience watching Game Three, which was a phenomenal playoff baseball game that lasted i think six hours uh, yes when you're still in the fourth inning and it's about two and a half hours old it's like oh my good lord modern 2021 baseball but you, yeah. know, you talk about filling like every one of those hours with just the most amount of action and tension and lead changes and threats like just just a hell of a postseason game yeah, it turned out to be wonderful. Like, I went from watching the Bears game. Uh, it was nice enough that day that I had actually set up the TV outside and had some friends over. We watched the Bears game, and then we rolled it right into uh, the White Sox game. And like you said, it took a long time for this game to go, but it was just one of those days where it was beautiful outside, and uh, you're holding on to that last hope for your team. And it really ended up being fun. You know, um, Dylan Cease, the first inning, I was like, oh, this is going to go really well. And then he lost the play completely in the second inning. I'm like, oh, man, this is not going to go well. <laughs> and then, 
they got down by a couple of runs and I started thinking, I'm like, man, the, the bats are just not, they're not here. You know, like they went to, they went to sleep at the worst time of the year and uh, this might be it for us. And then, you know, then Grandal hit that Homer and I was like, ah, may, maybe, you know, they're at least going to tease me. So I can be even more disappointed if this doesn't go well, <laughs> you know, and then it just, uh, the, the night just kept building. And then, that crazy play where Grandal, you know, was running at the first baseman instead of <laughs> at first base and, you know, made the throw go wild. Um, just a all around wonderful day of baseball, really. And then to have AJ in the booth, I know he's not loved by many, but for White Sox fans, he always will have a place in our heart. And to have him explain the... <laughs> the Grandal play, I was like, there's nobody better to explain this than the guy that stole first in the, mm -hmm. against the angels. You know, I was like, this is perfect. Yeah. I mean, did it feel for a moment like, Oh my God, the, the universe, the planets are kind of lining up where all of a sudden the catcher kind of skirts the very edges of the rules to, to steal a run at a key moment. And yeah, that, that kind of serves up memories of the last time that happened. Absolutely. I was, it, that was the first thing out of me and my friend's mouth that we were just, you know, like, oh my gosh, the catcher's back in in the in the news again for us. You know, it was uh it was a fun little play. And the fact that I, I think it was Eloy Jimenez hit that dribbler down third base line, you know, the guy that could probably hit it from Comiskey Park or wherever they play to the lake, you know, and he hits this little dribbler up the baseline. It was wonderful. Like that's one of the things I'll always love about baseball. You can have a guy just absolutely square it up and hit it right at a dude, all right, and it's an out. And then you got a guy that barely makes contact and it dribbles up the first base line and, or the third base line, and he's on for a hit. It's just you know those bounces are what make the game so special. The best example of that is if you remember back to Game Seven of the 2001 World Series where the Diamondbacks had just tied the score in the bottom of the ninth against Rivera. And they had the winning run on third base. And if you go to the Hall of Fame, they have in their World Series display the bat that Luis Gonzalez used to hit the walk-off single that won the World Series. And the bat, as you would expect from a Mariano Rivera pitch, is destroyed. Yeah. Like, it is a broken bat blooper that in any normal environment is P6 on your scorecard. Pop up to shortstop and mm -hmm. move on. But because there were less than two outs... The World Series winning run is on third. That means the Yankees have to play the infield in, and all they needed was the weak-ass blooper that he hit that found grass in the outfield just barely, and it's the biggest hit in Arizona Diamondbacks history. Yeah, and I love that even after that game, they had asked uh, Rivera, you know, how you feeling, you know, that you gave it up, and he's like, you know, I broke, I broke a bat. I struck a guy out. I was like, I did what I could do, you know. He's like, it's not like I went out there wild or – you know, blew anything. It was like, it just didn't bounce my way today. And I never will claim to be anywhere close to a Yankees fan, but I do admire Mariano Rivera. Like I just think that he was always a really classy ball player and really good at what he does. Yeah. Really good as, as the understatement of a lifetime, but you know what I mean? Like he was a pretty wonderful player. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When Mariano went into the hall the year after Jim Tomei, uh, my first thought was, oh, my God, they're going to have a brawl to determine who is the nicest guy in Cooperstown. <laughs> yeah. I, I just wish, I really just wish Mariano 
have not made his political bent known over the past decade, sadly. Uh, okay, I missed yeah. it. So I'm I'm yeah, gonna I'm gonna stay I'm gonna stay sheltered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> try, try to try not to search search any of Mariano's White House appearances from the past five years, and you'll be fine. Oh, that says enough. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, but I mean, yeah. Other than that, like solid dude, but it is a big. Other than that, um, yeah. <laughs> it and watching Game Three as as that all played out uh, going along too. Um, the thought occurred to me, like, this really has to be the most excitement in that ballpark, um, maybe since the one-gamer in 2008, and really, like, in my mind, maybe since the Canerco Grand Slam in 2005. Um, Yes, the Canerco Grand Slam was absolutely incredible. Uh, But I think the the last time that just all game long, the crowd was really just – on fire the whole time. Like they came in, you know, amped up and continued that way the whole game. Even when they got down a little bit, they got a little quiet, but the enter the crowd never went dead at any point. You know, like you've seen and heard that before. We were just like, Oh, this crowd's out of it. You know, that never happened. And I agree that that one game playoff against the twins where, you know, Danks was pitching and Jim Tomei hit the Homer like that crowd was incredible too. So I agree that that felt like an energy level, uh, much like that 2008 game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really felt like the closest thing that you could get to maybe making the guaranteed rate downward pointing arrow at least face sideways <laughs> in that energy. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's really, honestly, it's, it's good to see like everybody that into what this team is about and I would assume that going forward, especially because after this this series, the hunger has still got to be there, that that's going to be the new normal uh, for the next couple of years. And really, and that's I can't think of anything more exciting that when you think about going to the ballpark in the next year or two to, to be just in the middle of an environment like that over and over again. That's, that's phenomenal. Yeah, I love it because there's the guys like the, I guess, household names like Mancata, uh, Luis Robert, and Eloy Jimenez like you got those three and then you got Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu that are kind of the team leaders but then like not a lot of people talk about the fact that I think Gavin Sheets can uh, really be something special going forward and um, I, I hate that I'm blanking on his name right now because he's been wonderful all season as a rookie you know a Golden Spikes winner and um uh, Vaughn Vaughn yeah Andrew Vaughn has been wonderful all year and I think that as good as he's been good this year like I think I see you know really good to like great things for him in his future he just seems like such a normal like level-headed kid and when he had his couple at bats in the postseason he didn't let the moment get too big for him you know he really looks like a promising young player that it's fun to that he's also on this team, you know, like in years past, that's would have been all we had to talk about, but those are like the guys, you know, toward the end of the story where you're like, Oh, and we have this guy too, you know? So it's, it's nice to have those bonuses. Yeah. Identifying guys who are going to become, it sounds like glue guys too, kind of in between all the superstars that are the ones that you don't think of first and foremost, when you're formulating a game plan to pitch this lineup, but when you actually get to them, you realize, Oh, this is going to be one hell of a tough at bat. I mean, Every World Series team needs a Ben Zobrist, 
So right. if you've got one or two of those, yeah, that's that's how you have a lineup that's dangerous, one through nine. Too true. Yeah. Um, and so I guess transitioning from the positives, one thing that uh, I think also made itself readily apparent during this division series is that, well, Tony La Russa did not cost the White Sox the division series. He made it abundantly clear that going forward, he's not going to help in a postseason. And I, I got to ask, are you concerned about the way he handles a pitching staff and especially his inability to recognize when is the good time to warm up somebody like Michael Kopech so that he's ready for a crisis point like in game four? You know what? I was – my my problems weren't really with Tony. Like, agreed that after go saying, like, Kopech's not available – that's the only guy that's not available. And then that's the first guy coming out of your pen. Like that did not make any sense to me. All right. Um, but I think he tried to give everybody rest down the stretch. You know, like he tried to give Lynn extra days of rest, uh, Giolito, um, you know, Cease. Uh, they, they gave Rodon a ton of extra rest, hoping that they could, you know, rekindle some of that magic. I just think that everybody kind of ran out of gas, even when they were trying to to do just the opposite of they were trying to pamper him. And uh, you know, I I I don't know whether it was going from sixty games to one hundred and sixty two that they just ran out of gas, but that shouldn't be an excuse for only one team. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I I can't say that I loved the way that uh, Tony had handled things, but I don't think that he was doing anything poorly enough that he would like be the reason we lost a game going forward, you know, and who knows if he'll even be around next year, you know, like <laughs> not just, he's not going to get fired, but maybe he'll die. He's old. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> he's, he's got a whole off season's worth of drinking to do. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's really, and to be fair to Tony, which as my last statement proves, I am not fond of doing, but right. to be fair, it is hard to be a good manager when every pitcher you put in, you're putting in is being relentlessly bludgeoned by Houston's lineup like it was. But th- there are still moments where you can identify, like especially in game four where Rodon was on the ropes in that third inning and loaded the bases, and Carlos Correa, the most dangerous hitter in their lineup, do up. That's usually a time where especially someone who has spent most of the past four, mo- four weeks in and out of the injured list where you're thinking, okay, you probably have gotten more than enough out of him. You got to go to your biggest arm to stop this right now in an elimination game. And Larusa didn't get Kopech warmed up in time and didn't make the right move in time. And that's and they were playing from behind for the rest of, rest of that one. Uh, right. Uh, and yeah, it, it probably is not going to change the outcome of the series if he does make that move. But it's still the kind of thing where going forward, I would want to see that from him to have confidence going down the road. Right. And. Uh, I don't. I forget who uh, coined this phrase, but the like hope is not a plan. Where I was hoping that Carlos Rodon could get through that, just to, for as good as he's been this year and for the White Sox in his career. Like I was hoping for him personally. I'm like, ah, oh, I just let this guy get through this inning, and it it did not. He got him O two, and it just it did not happen. You know, so right, yeah, and that that as I say, it happens when you face Houston's lineup. And the fact that he was as effective as he was for those two innings before, and really two and two-thirds before loading the bases with two outs like that, 
that that was really much more than I would have expected since no one knew like if he was going to have any velocity for that start at all. So right. yeah, it, it showed that the talent and the guts were still there. Definitely throw it on. It's almost like they knew what we were going to throw. <laughs> hmm. hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so on that subject, people are going off on Ryan Tapera for bringing that up after game three. And I fucking loved it. Like, especially after games one and two, where, as I said, it was clear that Houston's lineup was in their pitching staff's head. You know, after game three, when they take the momentum back, do something that maybe gets in Houston's head a little bit. And I love that Dusty's comeback was, well, we've never heard of this guy. So uh, what's he got to say? And your thought was, really, Dusty? So in the division series, you've never heard of a guy that – you should have been scouting as one of their main setup guys. That that's not maybe not the sick burn you think it was, Johnny B. Yeah, right. Like I'm going to tell you that I'm not doing my job. What do you think about that? <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah he's a strange that all fella. the time with Houston. Yeah, don't ever let him forget it. Yeah. And Tapera was fun after he came over. I don't know what the Sox gave up to the Cubs to get him. Like I forget that deal, but he was a a really reliable arm the whole time so i wouldn't i i'm not sure what his contract status is but if he's back in the bullpen for the white Sox next year i would be uh, a fan of that yeah it was a trade made by jed hoyer so i'm just going to assume it was a 13 year old (laughs) the old baseball lottery ticket (laughs) so going forward from this series you mentioned that you want a second baseman and a starting pitcher and we're going to have Uh, a couple of very interesting starters in the free agent market. So two questions. Do you think Reinsdorf is going to spend now that they're this close to put them over the top? And do you have a starting pitcher in mind that you want to add to this rotation? Um, I have a starting pitcher that I want, but since we're just dreaming, I'm going to dream big. I want, uh, I want to Grom. Hell yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, Oh my God. That's yeah. That's absolutely who I want. Um, but then for second base, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I, I you know what? I, I had kind of penciled in uh, Nick Madrigal as my second baseman in my head for the mm-hmm. next, you know, five years. So I didn't think about it too much. And now you can uh, look forward to that. He's a fun ball player. That's all I can say. Like, he was mm-hmm. a fun ball player, and I enjoyed Nick Madrigal. So I don't know who... Uh, like, if we can get Marcus Simeon to come back and play second base, that would be wonderful. You mm-hmm. know, he was originally a White Sox draft pick. Right. Uh, traded away in part of that stupid guy from Notre Dame's uh, trade. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like, if that's my wish list, I'm going to go I'm gonna go DeGrom and Simeon. Those, are, I mean, those are my yeah, wants. I think that'll put you over the top, Fritz. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to go to my expert baseball analysis instincts and say those would be good acquisitions going forward. Yeah. Would, would yeah. you think that uh, with all the shortstops that are going to be on the market this offseason, is there a chance that maybe you could convince Anderson to move to second and bring in like a Correa or a Simeon and put him at short? Would that be a possibility? Um, <clears throat> now, it's certainly a possibility. And I don't – Tim Anderson comes across as a guy that just wants to win to me. So I could see him being willing to do that, but I could also see the team saying, like, no, this is our guy. This He's improved defensively almost every year that he's been there. Like when he first got to the White Sox, he was just like a fantastic athlete that was learning to play shortstop. And he's turned into 
not the greatest, but a plus shortstop. And I could see them saying, like, no, we're locked in there. Like, if you want to come, you're going to have to take over second base. You know, like, I could see something like that. Almost like when, you know, Aprod went over to the Yankees. They didn't make Jeter move over to second base or anything like that. They're like, no, nope, you're going to go to third. Right, right, yeah. And and and, and asking the question, it's no knock against Anderson, who is no, yeah, a phenomenal yeah. player and has such a exciting and very unique skill set for 2021 baseball. And I'm just trying to kind of think out loud as to how can you make this into from this great team into a potential super team. And really with all the shortstops in the market, I'm that, that's, I'm trying to get creative thinking of, of yeah. that. No, I, 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 I think I know exactly what you're saying. I'm just like, uh, my answer was that I think that's how the Sox would approach it. That, no, we're already set at shortstop. Although they were talking about when they had made the offer to Machado they were talking about moving Tim Anderson to second base at that point. So mm. it's not out of the realm of possibility. And like you said, if you're going to give me another plus defender and a plus bat to fill a spot, I don't care where they line up. It's, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, this is go for it time. There, there is no, we're planning for three or four years down the road. This is now let's take a shot at it for the next three or four years. And if that's the case, do everything in your power to make it happen. And Absolutely. So- yeah, to harken back to the other question. So is Reinsdorf going to do it? Or is Jerry going to spend this offseason writing some weird wrong against Lamar Hoyt? Um, that, that could be. God, that would be funny. He's our pitching coach <laughs> next year. Um, <laughs> no, I think he's going to go. But it's going to be, you know, like Christmas morning when you got almost everything you wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, like. We'll get either the pitcher or the second baseman, uh, but I don't think we're going to get both. Like, I think they'll go cheap on the pitchers because they will say like, oh, well, you know, we're going to stretch out Kopech. He's going to be our other starter. And Lopez has shown some some signs, you know, so maybe Ronaldo Lopez can uh, vie for a spot in the rotation. And I also think that, They'll lowball Carlos Rodon, hmm. and I hope just for him that he gets a, a big offer somewhere. You know, like at least a multi-year deal that you know he can kind of get what he's uh, earned so far. That's all. Yeah, and it's especially after the injuries that he's endured to come back and have the year he's had this year. Yeah, I, I as someone who roots for players to to get everything they can from the owners, like he would be right at the very top of the list of someone I want to see. Yeah, take advantage of the year you had and get what you earned because you right. definitely earned it. Uh, and knowing Reinsdorf and knowing the way he's now operating during off seasons, I would not be surprised to see the White Sox call a press conference sometime in December for Reinsdorf to, to tell all the fans that our troubles are over. I've gotten you guys the bat that's going to put us over the top. Sox fans. I have reactivated Harold Baines. <laughs> it would be me and Franco celebrating, and that would be about <laughs> it. You know? uh, Fritz, uh, do you have anything to plug while I still have you here? Um, you know what? Uh, I am still doing my podcast with my friend Franco that I just mentioned. Uh, we are uh, punches and punchlines. If you are a fan of boxing at all or just want to hear uh, two guys make fun of uh, other men that could break them in half, uh, <laughs> tune in uh, wherever you get your podcast, uh, Punches and Punchlines.
Yes, it is always an enjoyable listen. And if you want to get inspired to hear guys talking about guys who need to be punched in the face, just watch <laughs> Jose Altuve or Alex Fregman or Carlos Correa or, yeah, pretty much yeah anybody else in that lineup. It's, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fritz Nothnagel, it has been, as always, a pleasure. And you've got a lot to look forward to over the next couple of years. And I can't wait to talk to you more about it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on again, Ken. Thank you.